For the message of the cross, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. An overt admission by one of our greatest apostles that at the very center of our faith is something that if we don't understand the faith, we would call embarrassing. Foolishness. Silly. A reason for mocking laughter. The message of the cross is foolishness, by which we mean silly, or strange, or absurd, or even grotesque. The word, the original word, is moria. And I will leave it to your imagination to discern what that is the root word for in the English language. And nothing. <laughs> it's moron. Okay. Um, <laughs> The message of the cross is moronic, uh, foolishness, silly, absurd to those who are perishing. But to those who understand the message of the cross, who are being saved by it, it's really a source of great power. It's saving us, Paul says. And it is absurd. Sometimes even when we doubt, we doubt because we think of the absurdity of it. We rest on the silliness of it, the strangeness of it, the impossibility of it. How would we ever comprehend that an all-knowing, all-powerful God, the God who created the universe, would subject God's own Son to something so grotesque and ugly, to failure, to silliness, foolishness in the eyes of the world? How could something like a cross a means of capital punishment, reveal the essence of God, or in fact reveal to us the very embodiment of God. To appreciate the magnitude of the shock to the senses that the message of the cross was and is, we have to remember that it was a means originally of capital punishment. But not only that, it was a means of torture. It was both capital punishment and torture. And even more than that, it was meant to be an intimidating spectacle. It was public. You were not crucified in a room in the darkest recesses of a dungeon. You were crucified by the road just outside the city where everyone who was passing by could see. You were crucified not with a loincloth, typically, as is shown in artist renderings, you were crucified naked for everyone to see. Death was slow to come, and usually by asphyxiation. It was meant to be capital punishment and torture and a means of intimidation so that the state could say to its subjects, do not cross these certain lines or this too could be your fate. In biblical times, because of the nature of crucifixion, 
The Romans would hardly ever speak of it. If we made our way through the outskirts of the city and we saw how grotesque it was, it would silence us. We wouldn't stop for conversation. We would move on and get past it as quickly as we could. Cicero even famously denounced crucifixion and said it should be far removed from a Roman citizen's body. And not only that, but any mention of it removed from his mind, his eyes, and his ears. Apart from our faith, who could possibly imagine that crucifixion could ever in any way, shape, or form, in any mode of articulation or explanation of it, point us to God? The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved by it, it is a powerful source of life. And in it lies the source of resurrection and our hope. On the cover of your order of worship, there is typically an artist's rendering. Some of you have asked about why there is art on the cover of the order of worship, which we began doing, as a matter of fact, this past year. Well, this is a center for the arts, are we not? And church and uh, the church across history has cared about the arts and funded the arts. And we use the cover our, of our order to point us to connections between the arts and scripture and artistic expression. However, today, this is not exactly an artist's rendering of a crucifixion. It is more like a playground bully's rendering. It's a drawing on a wall, a picture of a drawing on a wall, now in a museum, but originally just graffiti. It's called Alexamenos Graffito. And there in the top in the center, you can see something like the image of a crucified man, except the head is of a donkey. Down to the left, you can see a young man, perhaps a centurion with his hand raised in praise or in worship or respect to the one being crucified. And the writing in a different language says, Alexamino worships or respects his God. Okay, now from eyes back to ears. This artist's rendering is one of the earliest, if not the earliest, uh, depiction of Jesus' crucifixion. How fitting, then, on this day where the theme is foolishness, that we would be reminded that it is little more than bathroom graffiti, something carved into the wall of a stall circa 200 A.D. A playground bully thought it might be funny to render the crucifixion Jesus with a donkey's head, and mock his classmate or his peer, perhaps. How fitting that the first picture we may have of the crucifixion is an insult, a mockery, a resting in the, the foolishness of the message of the cross and a throwing it back at those for whom it was dear. I have often wondered, since Paul says, 
he is only standing on the message of the cross and not on his own eloquence, whether Paul was eloquent or not. Was Paul uh, a captivating preacher or was he quite boring? Some Sundays, maybe he was one or the other. I don't know. We, no one really knows if he was an eloquent, captivating pastor preacher. What we do know is he was a very powerful writer. However, some of us remember the story in Acts where Paul preaches so long that a kid listening to him falls asleep and falls out the window. Not a great resume for preaching. <laughs> then again, that might have just been a, a bad Sunday. We all have them. On the other hand, Paul writes with tremendous power. And I have a hard time imagining that someone who could write as eloquently and powerfully, captivatingly as Paul did, could not also speak in these ways. After all, wherever he went, he started a church across the known world. So I wonder also at the same time if this night might be a bit of a humble brag on Paul's part. I didn't come to you with eloquent wisdom. All I have was the cross. In other words, Paul is telling us the eloquence is not the point. The truth is. And the truth about God is that God chose what was low and despised. The things that are, are not to reduce to nothing the things that are. He chose the weak rather than the strong, to shame the wise. He chose the foolish as well. Not the philosopher, not the great debaters of our age, but the weak, the foolish, those lowly and despised. He lifted them up and said, listen to them. Once upon a time, I remember a professor telling me to listen carefully to the poorest among us. He said, because the truth is all they have left. I remember a story about Will Campbell, the, the irascible Baptist. There was hardly a thornier, more prickly character in all of Baptist history, and that's saying something, than Will Davis Campbell. Now, I've told this story in circles before, uh, but I want to expand it this time, and I want you to listen carefully to what happened to this wonderful Baptist preacher. He called himself a bootleg preacher. One day, he and his friend TJ were driving on the, to Florida State where Will Campbell was due to be part of a panel discussion about capital punishment. When he arrived, the host came up to him and said, we're so glad to have you here today for this remarkable debate. And Campbell said, wait just a second. Debate? I thought you said panel discussion. As it turns out, what he had driven to and what he had signed up for was a televised debate with a nationally renowned philosopher in order to argue about capital punishment. Now the philosopher was for it. Campbell stood against it. 
He said the professor stood up to give his opening lecture, his opening monologue. He quoted Hobbes a lot. And he went on for about 10 minutes, and then he sat down. And then the, then the uh, moderator called Campbell up to the podium, and Campbell said that he wished that the sky had fallen or the roof had caved in and collapsed right on top of the camera as it began to zoom in on him. Alas, it did not, and he had to prepare on the fly opening remarks against a nationally renowned philosopher who knew a lot about Hobbes. Okay, so the moderator turns to Campbell and he says, Mr. Campbell, you have the microphone. What do you believe about capital punishment? And Campbell leaned into the microphone and he said, it's tacky. <laughs> and then he sat down. And there was some tittering and chatter. And then it turned into laughter. And then it swelled into a standing ovation as this poor, nationally renowned professor is sitting beside him. The moderator said, well, Mr. Campbell, is that it? He said, yeah, that's it. He said, well, you, you should say more. I mean, I know the word tacky, it means uncouth or ugly or or lacking in class, and, and Campbell said, yeah, I, I, know it, I know what it means. I'm just a bootleg country preacher from the hills of Tennessee by way of Mississippi. He said, but along the way, I did learn something about something called aesthetics. And I learned that if a thing is ugly, it has no beauty. And if there's no beauty, there's no truth. And if there's no truth in it, there's no good in it. Not for the victim of the crime, not for the one being executed, not the executioner, not the jury, not the judge, not the state, no one. And we were enjoined by a well-known Jewish prophet, he said, to love them all. To love them all. And on the way home, his friend TJ sitting beside him in the car said, Ah! Triumph of the gauche. <laughs> the message of the cross is foolishness. To those who are perishing, to those who have made their way down the wrong path. But for those to whom it makes sense, who've been turned upside down by it, and begin to see the world from God's point of view. It is the power, the saving power of God. What is the message of the cross? The message of the cross, at least in some infinitesimal part, is this. That the love 
of God never, ever ends, and it never, ever stops, not even with us.